The views and opinions of this program are those of its host and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of 90.1 FM, KKFI, Midcoast Radio Project, or its staff and volunteers. Welcome to Jaws of Justice Radio on 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. It's Monday morning. My name is Terry. On this episode of Jaws of Justice, let us remind you that Jaws of Justice is an award-winning radio hour that features award-winning community involvement. We will replay the December 12, 2022 show created by host Bev Livingston that was honored with the 2023 Hometown Media Award both for Bev and for Jaws of Justice. In this half hour, Bev speaks with Kyle J. Smith, founder and executive director of Determination, Inc. Jaws of Justice is proud of each radio program created by Bev Livingston, and we're gratified that the Alliance for Community Media, the organization which grants hometown media awards, agrees. In order for democracy to flourish, people must be active participants in their government, educated to think critically, and free to express themselves. This is what KKFI is all about. The vision of Determination Incorporated is the ultimate end of mass incarceration by helping formerly incarcerated people start viable hiring businesses. Please stay tuned to hear this award-winning half hour. We'll play our calendar at the midpoint of the hour. For the second part of our hour, host Melvin Merritt will speak with Shelley and Robert Norris, founders of Corey's Community Network. After the murder of her son, Corey, Michelle Norris founded nonprofit Corey's Network as a way to help the families of homicide victims. With Corey's Network, they're able to help others through the greatest loss imaginable for a family. Corey's Network offers referral services and a 24-hour hotline. On Jaws of Justice, we examine how to find justice in our society. Justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. Now, our show. Okay, greetings, Kyle. May I introduce you as one of the most amazing guests I've interviewed on Jaws of Justice. We're about to share information, empowerment, and inspiration via Determination Incorporated. Good morning, Bev. Thank you so much. That is so kind of you. And it's an honor to be here with you. Thank you for being here. I want to get started with the mission of Determination Incorporated. I know that there was an introduction and it talked about what you do, but I'd like for you to just tell us about your mission and how this vision um, has come into um, execution and what you guys are doing at Determination Incorporated that makes you different than any of the other programs that are here for people returning from having been incarcerated. Absolutely, thank you. So Determination Incorporated is a nonprofit that we started in 2018. 
And we have fancy ways of saying our mission, but the quick version is we help formerly incarcerated people start and grow businesses. And to your point about how we're different from the other amazing reentry nonprofits and programs that are out there, well, we're specifically focused on entrepreneurship. Um, when I started the organization in 2018, I worked at a nonprofit out of UMKC called KC SourceLink, which acts as a central hub for all the entrepreneurial support organizations around Kansas City. And I got into that work interested in entrepreneurship as a pathway out of poverty and started to look around for a community that I could support. And I started to hear about reentry and how unnecessarily difficult it is for our brothers and sisters coming home from incarceration to reintegrate into their community. Um, I'm sure I don't need to tell you this or tell this to your audience, but people face huge hurdles in terms of housing, employment, rebuilding relationships. It's just incredibly difficult after a season of incarceration to come back and have a fresh start. And unfortunately, our society holds so much against people who have a felony on their record. It's a scarlet letter that unfortunately people carry for the rest of their life. But as I was hearing these stories of how difficult reentry can be, I was also learning of formerly incarcerated people who were starting successful businesses after incarceration. And they were finding financial freedom and economic opportunity through entrepreneurship. So I said to myself, I wonder if we could do this better together as a community, if we brought together formerly incarcerated people in entrepreneurship and supported one another on that journey. And we took it from there. So every year since, we've done our best to better serve the folks who we have set out to serve. And we've also done our best every year to take one more step toward the vision of our organization. And that vision is that formerly incarcerated people, by starting viable hiring businesses, will help to solve the problem of recidivism and ultimately end mass incarceration. And that vision starts with people starting businesses that make money, that hire others, and we just build on that momentum from there. I really love the approach that you use because taking the strength-based, high-touch, community-centric approach to helping second chance, entrepreneur-spirited people build financial freedom and intergenerational wealth through business ownership is the key to staying free, to being able to take care of families, to improve our communities, and to do the awesome job that I see being done out of your business at 1701 Troost. When I stepped into that building the day that I think I came there for either a round table or something that you were doing with the mayor and saw how you have made that building, which I think you probably took that building on when it really needed to be renovated and some other things done to it. And, and I stepped into a place that was energized and warm and welcoming for people who need that second chance, who need for that person to take them under their wing and give them a community support system that says they have a place to go grow and make money by doing something that they have envisioned themselves doing. I mean, there's a lot of time on your hands when you're incarcerated and it's not about just playing, you know, sports and exercising and coming out all buffed up. 
It's about using that time to build a business idea or your future. And the people that I met who are a part of the Determination Inc. were people who have businesses from from cleaning commercial business to lawn care business to what was mentioned earlier about the renovations and the housing, building, um, making communities look better, feel better, and perform better because everybody is putting in the work. And I didn't meet anybody in that particular session that was looking for something to do. They were already engaged in doing wonderful things. And it's because of you opening the door and many other people who support Determination Inc. providing a means for people to have jobs, to create jobs, and to make a living for themselves and their families. Can we talk a bit about the programs that you offer through Determination, Inc.? Absolutely, Bev. Uh, so first, I just want to clarify real quick. The, our location at 17th and Troost, uh, we're lucky to be involved. That's a co-working space called Trades Co-working that is specifically for small contractors, not just formerly incarcerated people. And we're lucky to have our community as a part of their community, which is something that I want to point out about Kansas City. Uh, when I worked at KC SourceLink, they act as a central hub for over 260 entrepreneurial support organizations around Kansas City. Kansas City is a great place to start and grow a business. And Bev, here's how I say it in our in-prison workshops. I always say that starting a business is going to be hard, but it never has to be lonely. There's a community who wants to see you succeed and wants to support you through that process. And everything that we do at Determination Incorporated is in the context of relationship and in the context of community. And those programs that we run that you asked about, so we have an in-prison workshop called Back to Business. Before COVID, this was an eight-session workshop where we covered different topics related to starting or growing a business in each session and gave people a head start on their business plan, their action plan and budget, so that when they got home, they could hit the ground running on that business plan and have a relationship with someone to help them in that business and also to connect them with other resources in Kansas City's reentry organization. Uh, COVID took us out of the prisons for a couple years, but this year we've gotten back into the prisons. We're not in a position just yet to do our full eight session workshop again, but we are still going in whenever they host, I call them reentry resource fairs. Whenever the staff members invite resources from the community to introduce them to folks who are headed home. So that's our first workshop. Our second workshop is our twice monthly Be The Boss business support group. So this is where we bring together our second chance entrepreneur community twice a month on the second and fourth Thursdays in the evening on Zoom for education and accountability. So in each one of those workshops, we cover a different topic related to starting and growing a business. And we also do an accountability circle and practice our elevator pitches. Because that's the thing about entrepreneurship, ain't nobody gonna do it for you. If people wanna succeed in business, just like you said, Bev, you have to be willing to put in the work day after day and take care of yourself and ask questions and learn and all of that good stuff, but put in the work day after day. And you have to be very accountable for your actions, especially if you are trying to open the next chapter in your life and have a fresh start 
and people may be able to dig into your history and see there's some stuff back there that maybe causes them worry. You know, that's where all these stigmas in our society come from. But when you're able to build a relationship with someone who's different than you, who's had a different life experience than you, and see that they can change and they can grow and they can hold solid to their values, that's how we break down the stigmas around people with criminal backgrounds. And our last program, our Rise Up Get Started program, this program evolves every year. And we started it as a pitch competition. The past couple years have done a matching grant program. And in the next year, our Rise Up Get Started program will be called Rise Up Get Started Capital Ready. And here's the basic idea. I mentioned that Kansas City is a great place to start and grow a business. There are lots of small business loans out there. There are business grant competitions that come around every year. And both of these things have applications that are 70 to 90% the same thing. So we're putting together a six to eight month process where we can help the second chance entrepreneurs that we serve prepare for those opportunities by working on their business plan, by formalizing their business, setting it up with the government, EIN, business permit, all that good stuff, by working on their financial projections, their five minute video, everything that goes into these opportunities so that they can get capital to help grow their businesses. So that's what we're gearing up for in the next year. And I'll go ahead and say out loud, I know you'll give me a chance to do it again later, Bev, but if people want to follow our organization and learn about our programs, go follow Determination Incorporated on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. You can sign up for our newsletter at our website, unlockeship.org. If you're paying attention to Determination Incorporated, you'll hear about the opportunities that we have coming down the pipe. Totally awesome. You are definitely providing formerly incarcerated people viable business opportunities, and you're also addressing and will help solve the problem of recidivism and ultimately in mass incarceration. I think teamwork is making the dream work here. I love the way you reach out to grassroots organizations as well as the business community, as well as getting all of Kansas City on board and an opportunity to work together. The one thing that I'd like to help our listeners understand is why is it that persons who are formerly incarcerated and once a person knows that this person has been formerly incarcerated, there are so many hoops that they have to jump through to try to prove themselves worthy of a chance. When I was at your session and I looked around the room, I could not tell who had been formerly incarcerated and who had not been. Everybody was so suited and booted and just looked very appropriate and nobody had the the sign blinking on their forehead that said formerly incarcerated. So what are some of the things that you think causes persons that have been to stand out, to be profiled, to be that person there. We've got banned the box off applications. And I remember doing a lot of lobby work and helped to make that no longer something that would hold people back. What do you think it, it is? Do you think the formerly incarcerated person brings that to the forefront? Or do you think people just make that judgment based on what they've heard? 
I, I think the latter is a big part of it, a judgment based off what they heard. And the root of all of it is fear. I mean, there is so much in our society that just forces us to fear people who have been to prison, to fear formerly incarcerated people. And I think unless people begin to build actual relationships with folks who have gone through that journey, they will continue just to rely on the image of a felon that they've seen in a movie or a criminal that they've heard about on television. Because those are the only stories we hear in the nightly news, right? When people have done something wrong. Occasionally we'll hear a redemption story, but they don't even begin to drown out all of the negative news that we'll hear. And Bev, I also think you said something very important in there. You said that formerly incarcerated people have to work way harder than anyone else to even get the benefit of the doubt. They're not even granted the benefit of the doubt. And here's something that I've started to wrap my head around in the past year is that I think it is important that we as a society begin to lend the benefit of the doubt to more people because we know that mass incarceration and how many people are in prison and how many people have criminal records is about a lot more than people just making bad decisions because we've over-criminalized addiction, mm -hmm. we've over-criminalized poverty, uh, the history of segregation and racism in this in, in this nation is still alive and well, and the, the negative consequences of that we're still feeling every single day in our neighborhoods. So too many people have criminal records, too many people have been incarcerated. And so we need to extend the benefit of the doubt to more people who have a criminal record. But here's the important piece. Here's what I want, especially your listeners who are formerly incarcerated to hear, is that if someone has extended you the benefit of the doubt, we are all still responsible. You are still responsible for building trust with that person. And trust means that you're dependable, that you say what you're going to do, that you are a person of your word, that you are excellent in everything that you do. And trust takes time. So after someone has extended you to the benefit of the doubt, you still have to go through the hard work of being a human with another human and building a positive relationship and building trust. And I do think that there are too many situations where someone has been extended the benefit of the doubt and then they've broken trust. And you know what we say, one bad apple can ruin the whole bunch. And unfortunately, there are too many bad apple stories out there that just continue this cycle of fear that's plaguing our community. But every time that someone has been extended the benefit of the doubt and then has built trust and continued to be the good person that they want to be and the good person that they want to see in other people's lives, well, that's when healing starts to happen. And eventually, love can overcome fear. And that's a long journey that I don't know how much I'm going to see in my lifetime, but I'm here for it, and I'm trying to be on the side of love. Well, you're certainly putting the work in, as I was reminding some people to tune in today and announced you as the guest, I was getting feedback like, he's a great guy, he's a wonderful person, he's a good mm. businessman, yada, yada, yada. And I was so happy to be able to pass that on to you because the profiling, the narrative needs to change, the attitudinal change that needs to happen toward persons coming back from incarceration is happening at Determination, Inc. I'd like for you to give our listeners that website again because I'm sure somebody out there listening who just needs more information, 
who needs to get on board with this because this is a winner. I've been involved in the advocacy work for incarcerated people for 12 years now. And this is one of the programs that I truly believe is working and will continue to work. Uh, real quick, how many people a month can you say you serve and are involved in just coming on board with the program? Yeah, through all of our programs and also through workshops that we do with reentry organizations and inside of prisons, we touch on average 50 formerly incarcerated people a month. And our website that you asked for, uh, if someone remembers the long name, Determination Incorporated, they can go to determinationincorporatedallspelledout.com or .org. But the shorter website is unlock the letter E ship as in short for entrepreneurship, unlockeship.org. And again, Determination Incorporated is on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Awesome. I am wanting to give our audience an opportunity to hear maybe a couple of the success stories that you want to share of business people who are now just rocking and rolling and taking care of their family and have made Determination Inc. extremely proud of how they have come through the storm, gotten past all the, the hoops, and are now a stable, growing business. Does any come to your mind? Yeah, let me share it big picture and then I'll get really specific. Okay. So in our Rise Up Get Started program last year, we had uh, 13 people who completed that program. And it was about half and half folks who were in the idea stage of their business and folks who were focused on their businesses part or full time. Of those who were focused on their businesses part or full time, their average annual revenue was $50,000, which is above the national average for a micro enterprise in the United States. Um, one gentleman did $150,000 in his business and another gentleman did over half a million in his business. Um, he's an outlier. We didn't put him into our data uh, because it was so much above what others had done and he had run his business longer. But that just gives everyone an idea that folks are starting businesses that are beginning to make money. And more and more, Bev, we're working with folks who are at that stage where they're out there, one-man shop, growing their businesses, growing their brand, and they realize that they need to start hiring people in order to really grow their ability to make money in their business. And that's exactly where we wanna be as an organization. Cause like I said earlier, our vision is that folks have viable hiring businesses. Um, so one person I'll share real quick, uh, his name is Robert Miller. And um, Robert got out of prison in about, forgive me if I'm getting these dates wrong exactly, but 2015. Um, and. There's a really cool part of Robert's story that I want to share here. So when Robert first got home, when he was in prison, he got trained as an electrician. And when he first got home, he wanted to start working in construction. And so he started visiting construction sites here in Kansas City. And the first job he picked up wasn't an electrician business. It was actually a cleaning uh, job on a construction site. And the person who hired Robert in that construction cleaning company was one of our board members, Sarah Montine, who when she got out of prison a decade ago, started a construction cleaning company. So a formerly incarcerated entrepreneur gave Robert his first chance home from prison, which is another beautiful example of our vision coming to life. 
So uh, very soon after, Robert got his job in an electrical business doing construction and did that for about four years. And then last year, he stepped out on his own and started his own business uh, doing electrician work. Rome Electric and Smart Home Automation is the name of that. And Robert participated in our Rise Up Get Started Matching Grant program last year. Um, and he's continued to grow his business and grow his revenue this year as compared to last year. And this year, he also, after finishing our program, went on to participate in another program in Kansas City's entrepreneurial community called Rising Trades. And I recently went to Robert's Rising Trades graduation and uh, got to see the pitch that he was sharing with the audience there. And he was talking about the Rising Trade cohort is specifically about getting minority-owned construction businesses into green efforts. And so Robert has started exploring how to install EV charging stations for cars, mm -hmm. for electronic cars, how to install those commercially and residentially. And he's looking at that as an avenue to grow his business. Awesome. So, yeah, definitely a shining example of what our journey is all about. Well, we've got about two minutes left, and I want to um, also give our audience um, just a little bit of information about the Strong Start and let them know that opportunity awaits. You can't, you know, like make them get this. They've got to want it, but if they want it, it's mm -hmm. there. So tell us about Dr Strong Start in about 30 seconds and then anything you want to wrap up with. We've got two minutes. Absolutely. So Strong Start is our newest program that we just started piloting. So it's been our goal since we launched the organization to start a business ourselves so that we could hire people right when they get home from prison. And so we've started piloting that business this summer. It's called Strong Start Make Readies. A make ready crew is a construction crew that goes into an empty rental unit in between tenants and gets it ready for the tenant. Uh, cleaning, painting, minor repair. And so in the new year, we're gonna continue growing that business. And hopefully before too long, you'll start to see public announcements about us hiring our first formerly incarcerated crew members. And our goal there is to just build a more sure-footed path from prison into entrepreneurship. So our goal is that after working with us for a year, we help people find their next better paying job in construction or set up their own business and we become their first customer. So hopefully good things to come with Strong Start in the community support is very necessary. Totally awesome, Kyle. As you continue to help people heal, work, and grow, I can see families coming together, and I really, really appreciate the work that you're doing in Kansas City and beyond. May those who are formerly incarcerated not hesitate to reach out to Determination Incorporation and let us let the the society see what good can come from working together. Teamwork does make the dream work. Thank you, Kyle, for your time today and for your continued successful work in our community. Thank you, Bev. This has been a huge honor. Did you know your business or organization could be sponsoring this episode of Jaws of Justice Radio? Learn more at kkfi.org slash marketing. Don't miss your boarding pass for Modern Jet Set. I'm Iris Berkeley, your pilot for an adventure through eclectic new releases and the vintage vibes that inspired them. Connect the dots between soul and synth pop, reggae and R&B, Latin and lounge, plus the classic sounds that gave us today's independent music landscape. Come fly the fancy skies. 
That's Modern Jet Set, every Thursday at 2 a.m. right here on KKFI. Are you passionate about making a difference in your community? So are we. KKFI's Community Voices series is dedicated to featuring local individuals and organizations that are driving positive change. If you have a story to share or initiative that you want to showcase, we invite you to submit your information at kkfi.org slash community voices. Together, let's amplify your impact and inspire others to join the movement. Join us on Community Voices and to share the positive differences made in our communities. Now the calendar for the week of August 2nd. Legal Aid of Western Missouri provides free civil legal services to low-income and vulnerable people in Jackson County, Missouri. Interested individuals can call 816-474-6750 to apply. Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America is a very active group of mothers and others. You can learn where their virtual meetings this week will occur at momsdemandaction.org. Thursday, August 24th, 6 p.m., in a discussion of her book, Ordinary Equality, The Fearless Women and Queer People Who Shaped the U.S. Constitution and Equal Rights Amendment, author Kate Kelly recounts the centuries-old fight against gender and sex discrimination. This will be in the Truman Auditorium of the Plaza Branch of the Kansas City, Missouri Library, an in-person event. You can RSVP to the Kansas City, Missouri Public Library. Saturday, August 26th, 2 to 4 p.m., the Equal Rights Amendment, Passing the Torch to Gen Z, is an event at Founders Hall, Grace and Holy Trinity Cathedral, 435 West 13th Street, Kansas City, Missouri. Hosted by the Women's Equality Greater Kansas City and Project 28 Missouri Ratify the ERA, this is open to all, a panel discussion with Gen Z activists from Girls Leads Company, Loud Light, Equity Period, and Urge. This year marks the centennial of the first proposal of the Equal Rights Amendment introduced to Congress in 1923 by Alice Paul. August 27, 3 to 5 p.m., Making History, Kansas City's Black Suffragists. This location has moved to the Gem Theater, 1615 East 18th, Kansas City, Missouri. You can learn Kansas City's little-known history about your black suffragist who paved the way for women to get the vote in 1920. Mia Ramsey and the incredible Kansas City Girls Choir will bring a spirited addition to the event. A list of services, meals, and hotlines specific to sheltering are available at Lawrence Progressive Calendar blogspot.com. That list is updated daily. My name is Terry, reminding you that these events and more can be found on the Jaws of Justice radio page on the KKFI website, kkfi.org, as well as on the Jaws of Justice Facebook page. Stay safe. Thanks to all our listeners. Stay close to your dial and stay well. We'll now return to our show, Melvin Merritt and his guests telling us about what's happening at Corey's Network. This is Terry Wilkie. So I'm lucky, listeners, I'm getting to speak with Shelly Norris of Corey's Network. And I know I said in the intro we were going to speak with Shelly and Robert. Is Robert in the background, Shelly? 
he's around, but um, he's not usually the person to speak. He doesn't like to speak at all. <laughs> we call him Silent Bob. <laughs> and I'll tell you, we like to hear from him. So, uh, <laughs> Bob, I, I hope you hear hear that loud and clear. Okay. Yes, he's, he's right here near me. So if he has anything to say, I'm sure he'll be able to jump in. Yeah. I want to thank you for being on Jaws of Justice. And you have been on Jaws of Justice before because you are the co-founder of Corey's Network, which is a remarkably smart nonprofit organization that offers support for victims of homicide. Do you want to start our part of the show Shelly, and tell people exactly what Corey's Network is, how it works, and how to contact Corey's. Sure. Um, Corey's Network is named for our son that was murdered in 2013. It is an I'm advocacy very sorry. program. I'm very sorry. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, I, what we do is we provide immediate support and advocacy for surviving victims of homicide. That includes connection with counseling. We help people understand the investigation and the court process. We also help people navigate the media. And lastly, and most importantly, we help people pay for funerals. And so far, we've helped pay for over 350 funerals of homicide victims in the Kansas City metropolitan area. Um, in addition to this, we also provide a, a every other week seminar for um, individuals that are going through the process and we call that our grief to relief program and grief is an acronym for groups reporters investigators enforcement and then forward and what that means is we introduce them to other groups in the area because maybe Corey's network isn't the group that needs to help you maybe another one does Um, and then so we invite people in to be able to talk about that um then we also bring in like uh the anchors of different news stations or you know investigative reporters etc anyone from the media that's able to help individuals get their the word out there and and have them <clears throat> excuse me have them explain what their rights and their um responsibilities are as far as uh working with the media so in other words you know, can I ask for my face not to be shown or can I ask not to be in interviewed right now, but maybe in two weeks, can I get an interview? Those kind of things. Um, <clears throat> and then, of course, in the Kansas City metropolitan area, what what are the responsibilities of the reporters and, and how can we best help them work through that and still be able to get our loved one on the news? Uh, enforcement is uh sorry i skipped one investigation we bring in like the captain of the the homicide squad and they will um they'll explain again what are your rights and what are your responsibilities during an investigation and how do i contact my detective if i haven't heard from them for example you don't want to you don't want to call your detective at two in the afternoon and expect that they'll answer the phone because at two in the afternoon hopefully they're out trying to solve your homicide So instead, what we do is we work with different police departments around the area. So instead, you can email your investigator because an an investigator is more likely to answer. Excuse me. Apparently, I need to clear my voice. Um, An investigator is going to be able to respond to your email at midnight when they get back to the office versus three o'clock in the afternoon when they they're hopefully, like I said, investigating your homicide. 
E is for enforcement, and by that, what we mean is people in the courts, um, the court process, etc. So, prosecuting attorney's office, the advocates from the the court system, etc. And that's on both sides of the state line. Different counties have been involved, so then that way we've got a great range of of individuals that will come in and talk to you about what is expected during court. <clears throat> what can I wear? Um, you know, what can I say during the court process? Uh, what is the impact statement? All of those different things. Plus, what does it mean if, if they're charging, you know, the the person who did this with homicide versus, um, you know, like manslaughter? What is the difference between involuntary and voluntary manslaughter? All of those different things come into play. And and those are hard terms for someone that's going through this uh, to understand. So people in the enforcement portion, they're able to actually talk to the individual. And then the last one is forward. We don't believe in moving on. We don't believe in getting over. We don't believe in closure. And quite honestly, we don't believe in justice. And the reason why is because I'll never get over my son being murdered. And I don't expect any of our clients to ever get over the person that they loved uh, having been taken away this way. Um, the reason we don't believe in justice is because even if you told me that the man who killed my son was going to be, you know, on death row, that still wouldn't be justice to me because my child is never going to return to me. Justice to me would be if Corey walked back through the door and was able to be with me. So instead, this young man that killed him um, got a certain amount of time in prison and he gets to get out, but I'm the one who gets life. So in homicides, we don't believe in in moving on or closure or any of those other catchphrases that I think that society wants us to grab onto because um, I think that society as a whole doesn't want to see that that this is something that you'd never be able to get over. And you really don't understand that until you've actually gone through it. Um, and hopefully most of your your audience will never go through it. But if they do have someone in their life that has gone through a homicide, hopefully that would help them understand why this person is just not able to move forward or, or not move forward, but move on. Um, however, our program does help people understand how to move forward. And moving forward means still being able to hold a job, still being able to be part of society, still being able to love thy neighbor, still being able to, um, you know, do anything that they need to do to be a productive part of our society and to teach the, the younger generations on how to deal with the worst day of your life and still be a productive part of our, our community. So that's one of those. And then we've also identified over 680 unsolved homicides since 1970. And what we've done is we've made sure that we've vetted all of those names through the prosecuting attorney's office, on both sides of the state line, um, through the Wyandotte County Advocates, through the Kansas City Police Department's uh, Captain of Homicide at that time. So we've made sure that these 680 unsolved homicides are truly unsolved homicides since 1970. And uh, we give them a voice by creating what we call a reward poster. And uh, we provide those on our Facebook page so that if, uh, a person's loved one, their case is still unsolved, and they would be able to uh, share that information and a picture and be able to tell us when that happened, um, 
and on what date held the person was, all of those different things. And then we do the homework to find out uh, what the current uh, reward amount is. And then we put that on the poster and we provide that electronically on our Facebook page for anyone who wants to forward that to um, all of their social medias. And we've seen people that will put them on T-shirts and run it with them during marathons. We've seen people use them as yard signs. Uh, we have one young lady that uh, her husband was killed just a couple of like I want to say it was in June. It was a very short period of time. And her reward poster has been shared over 13,000 times. So if you can imagine how many people are able to see that information and her having that control and that ability to share that's important. But then on top of that, every year in the last weekend of July, we provide a, uh, a vigil for all unsolved, uh, all unsolved homicides in the Kansas City, Missouri uh, area. And that means both sides of the state line and Lee Summit, Raytown, Blue Springs, Kansas City, Kansas City, Kansas, Overland Park, it doesn't matter. Um, if you're in the metro area, we're more than happy to help share that information. But um, what we do is we start on Friday morning at six o'clock, the last weekend of July, and we go until about 10 o'clock on Sunday evening. And every five minutes, we show another unsolved homicide uh, victims reward poster and we share that on Corey's network incorporated on facebook as well as in honor of Corey lakovich um the cni volunteers but also on mama on a missions facebook page and ad hoc group against crimes uh facebook page so all of that information is shared out simultaneously and it it floods the entire community with the information about these unsolved homicides and then that sunday evening we hold one that's in person and we um, print out all 680 plus unsolved homicide reward posters and we put them on um, we put them on bamboo picks and we display them and this year we displayed them at the speaks funeral home off of 291 and 39th in independence so that there was a high traffic area um, plus it was a, a beautiful place to display these but that shows everyone going in both directions, the impact that this 680 unsolved homicides has on our community. Because to me, there that means there's 680 families that don't have answers. And that is probably the most impactful thing, because if you think about it, most families have at least five family members. So you can multiply that 680 times five, and you're talking about close to what four or five thousand people that this impacts directly yet alone any grandchildren or great-grandchildren or even the fact that maybe that person never even was able to have children so all of those families are impacted in such horrendous ways like the one that's from 1970 um, that's 53 years ago and because this went unsolved for 53 years his mother died and his two siblings have moved to Florida. And of course, they were really surprised that we were showing and sharing his information. He said, why are you sharing this? And uh, actually the young man went to high school with Bob. And because he went to high school with Bob, Bob was Bob knew about the 
the homicide and then he found out that it was still unsolved and it it was an, a personal offense just to him why would there be a 16 year old boy that no one has ever solved since 1970 this homicide and um of course the family was very thankful because they thought that all of kansas city forgot about their brother and that's that's not the way that we should be in kansas city we should never ever forget about one soul that we have lost to this terrible terrible crime hello uh shelly this is melvin Mary. hi melvin and, uh, how you doing and uh, have an opportunity because you have a catalog of information about what's going on as it relate to homicides and especially as it's been sparked by your loss of your son 10 years ago. I just want to take you back what you alluded to about, you know, the process of uh, never forgetting, you know, about a loved one. And I can understand that. That's the human side of it. But what about a person that is really trying to uh, process this to a point of a uh, uh, for internal healing, so to speak. And I know that you, what you're doing is a great job of healing by helping other people. But what about a person that's not into what you're doing, which is a fantastic job, an awesome job? Uh, what would you tell that person, especially when you hear about people going actually to see and visit the person in prison that uh, committed the homicide? and to literally look that person in, in the face. And, and I know that you can never move on as long as you have a memory of a loved one. That's, that's almost humanly impossible. But how would you process internally uh, that a person can come to grips with what happened? Because there's certain things we cannot change. It happened, it happened, and sadly as it is, and as bad as it was, um, but what would you tell that person? And I know that you don't get over that, but what if that person wants to just some kind of way come to grips with this? And yet they're not in that arena of helping other people, but they're soaking into their loss. Well, there's two things. The The first thing is, is like I said, we do help provide um, funeral funds. But at the same time, when you do a referral to Corey's Network, um, the information is taken in. How many children do you have? Uh, do you need grief counseling? Do your children need grief counseling? Do you need rental assistance? Do you need, you know, all different kinds, excuse me, kinds of questions. And at the end of that referral, we ask you, we're affiliated with other programs. Do we have your permission to share that information with them? If you say yes, what happens is it is instantaneously shared with Ad Hoc Group Against Crime, Mama on a Mission, Children of Homicide Victims, Parents of Murdered Children, Grieving Loved Ones Workshop, the Mayor of Kansas City, Missouri, the Advocates in the Kansas City, Kansas Police Department, the Mayor of Independence, um, and of course, Cornerstones of Care, which is also a mental health program. Now, the reason that we do that is because we find it offensive that a a person would have to go out and say, can you help me? Can you help me? Can you help me? I think instead, it is more important for our community to be able to reach out to that individual and say, I can help you. I can help you with this. I can help you with grief counseling. I can help you with a support group. I can help you get rental assistance. I can help you with all of these different things. And in being able to do that, number one, that, that kind of 
help someone get the support right from the very beginning. We've helped over 450 families just from that aspect alone. Um, the other portion of it is um, what we try to help people understand. Like I said, we, we help people move forward. Um, it's not about leaving your loved one behind because you're never going to be able to forget, but you can forgive. There are two totally different aspects of what's going on. I will never, ever forget Corey Lakovich was my son. I put Corey's name in our foundation because I want I want you to say my son's name because I think that's one thing that, that a parent of a murdered child really um, grieves is that nobody wants to talk about their child anymore. So when you say Corey's network, you're honoring my child because you're saying his name. But I will never forget what happened, but I have already forgiven the young man who did this. I, I believe that there's a difference between forgiving somebody and allowing them to leave prison. I think that you have to face your consequences. I think that in in my personal beliefs, um, in my personal beliefs that, you know, I, that's following God. God forgives you, but it doesn't mean you're not going to go to jail. And that's the same thing that he, my God believes or does for me is that I have the desire to forgive, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to forget what you've done. And, you know, more power to the people who want to be able to go and talk to the individual in the prison um, as long as you can do it appropriately. And what your what your main point is to be able to go in there and to be able to just say, okay, I can let this, this forgiving be a uh, part of me, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, I, I, and we have about five more minutes, uh, probably about four minutes left in the pro program. And and he, we talked about it on the phone. Uh, and you mentioned and you alluded to about mayors and working with mayors. And one of them that I think they have a mayor, Q39. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, sir. Um as we know, we our our mayor in Kansas City is Mayor Q, as in Quentin Lucas. And uh, in August, matter of fact, the 19th, which was two days ago, was his 39th birthday. And for his 39th birthday, Q39, the barbecue place, um, contacted him and said, we'd like you to be able to invent a meal. And whatever that meal is. We'll sell that for all of August, and the proceeds will go to a nonprofit that you would prefer. So um, they got together and they made a a grilled cheese and brisket sandwich, which is amazing. It's so delicious, and Sounds all of the proceeds. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? All of the proceeds are going to Corey's network. So um, we're awesome. really excited about that because we don't get grants. Um, at least we haven't up to this point. We've never uh, received a grant. We have received gifts and we've been able to put over $90,000 back into our community just through the gifts from the community. So this is going to be a huge, huge boost to us. And we're really excited and we're very honored that Quentin Lucas chose us as the nonprofit for this particular fundraiser. I applaud him for doing that because he know that you're doing such a fantastic job in the community 
and as it relates to people that have lost loved ones like yourself. And so to be able to give something back, I think that that's uh, a testament to himself and how he sees that it's so important to sow into, so to speak, in what you're doing. So he's an extension. And so many other people might want to do the same thing. And, and so this is our opportunity to possibly give them a little information if they needed to uh, get in touch with you. You can give them a website, uh, a phone number that they can contact and maybe even ask some more questions. Absolutely. Um, the fastest way to contact us is either through our hotline, which is 816 834 9161. The second way is to go through Facebook, which uh, it's under Corey's Network Incorporated. You'll see me and my husband's hands at the top of it, um, holding hands, and that's the best way you can find it. Then we also have Corey's Network.org, and that's C O R E Y S N E T W O R K dot org. And on any page on Network.org, you are invited to donate if you choose to. There's also a place that says Get Involved, and you can click on that one. And it's got an area where you can become an, a volunteer. Um, and in addition to that, if you need to, to get any of our services, you're welcome to do a personal referral if you'd like to. And just fill in the referral form that's there on the website. It'll only take you maybe three minutes to fill it out and be able to get all those services. We, we have uh, about one minute left. Give that number just in case someone was running to get a pen. Okay. Give that telephone number again real quick. No problem. 816-834-9161. Again, that's 816-834-9161. Thank you very much, Shelly, for uh, being with us on KKFI 90.1 Jaws of Justice. Continue to keep doing that great work you're doing in the community for those that are suffering through the loss of a loved one. Uh, continue to keep on keeping on. We've been talking to Shirley Norris and uh, um, all I say is go out and have a great day, Kansas City. And uh, don't forget to contact Shirley at Corey's Network. Thank you, Shirley. Thank you. Thank you, Melvin. It's the 420 Drug War News. From the Institute for Public Policy, excuse me, Institute for Policy Studies in Washington, D.C., Mr. Sanho Tree is with us. Hello, Sanho. Hi, Dean. Great to be with you. Thank you, Sanho. Yeah, I, I'm looking at uh, y'all's website, and, and you guys have been at this for quite a while, have you not? 1963. Speaking truth to power, uh, we were that's a pretty by, uh, two uh, two members of the Kennedy administration actually, um, one of uh, uh, Richard Barnett and Marcus Raskin, and people might know the name Marcus Raskin because his son is Jamie Raskin, <laughs> who I've known for three decades. <laughs> yeah, wow. Well, Jamie's making quite a name for himself. I'll say that. Uh, I, I'm looking at your uh, particular segment within the Institute for Policy Studies. You guys look at all kinds of things, but your focus uh, primarily is on drug policy, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and I, I'm looking at your stories here. I mean, uh, the one of these that uh, really caught my attention uh, was this uh, 
it kind of ties in with, I, I, I hope, a, a future guest. He wrote a book. Let me see if I can find it here. Maybe you've had a chance to read it. Mine's supposed to arrive today, my copy. It's called Drug Cartels Do Not Exist. It's about narco trafficking in the U.S. and, and south of our border. And it talks about how, um, well, best I can understand, it's not just the cartels. It's government manipulating, puppeteering all of these uh criminals uh your your response to that thought i mean there's something underneath all this isn't there who wrote that um oswaldo zavala uh no i am not familiar with it uh look i think you know cartels definitely exist but cartel is a misnomer right uh yeah. people always use that term but cartels are about price fixing and cooperating with each other uh to rig a market like opec um, these drug so-called cartels, they're more actually called drug trafficking organizations or DTOs, uh, and they fight against each other. They'll happily murder each other uh, to, to uh, increase their market share. So it's not a cartel per se, but that's the common parlance. Sure. And right, uh, the cartel typically means a single entity, I believe, uh, a combination, if you will, of organizations. But what kind of under one umbrella would that be? A Correct. Correct. Like OPEC. Yeah. Okay. Um, and Sanho, I, I think about it this way, though, that the the horrors of the drug war just keep, from my perspective, just keep escalating. Maybe it's because I look for them or I don't know, I'm tuned into that arena, but it just seems like it is just getting worse around the world. And yet they want to increase what they've been doing like it's going to do some good. Tune in to tomorrow's report to hear Sanho Tree's response. I am Dean at DrugTruth.net. We hope you enjoyed today's show and that we leave you with something to think about, something to talk to your neighbors about, and a reason to get involved. As always, the opinions expressed are those of the host and the guests of Jaws of Justice Radio, not of KKFI, the Midcoast Radio Project Incorporated, its staff or volunteers. You can find our calendar of events and a link to our show episodes on the Jaws of Justice Radio Facebook page. You can always listen to us live and find our podcast on the KKFI website, kkfi.org. If you have a show idea or want to help produce the show, you can send an email inquiry or comment to kkfi.org forward slash contact. This is Jeff reminding you our outro music is Higher Ground from the Playing for Change CD. 